Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm and the Capital Club community, Visit our website at www.excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hello and welcome back to the Capital Club Podcast. And I'm here with two special guests. I've got Tom Geddes and Alice Pack. Tom and Alice, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks Great for to be here. Thanks for having us. So I'm going to do an abbreviated bio. They're both very impressive people, but I don't want to take up the airtime with their full backgrounds, but... As to, for Tom, he's the head of family office at Brown Advisory. <clears throat> he works with teams across the firm to attract, onboard, serve, and support large and complex families. Prior to Brown Advisory, Tom founded and ran a single family office for a first-generation billionaire entrepreneur. And Alice is the chief strategic advisory officer. Alice serves as a thought leader on strategic advisory topics that help clients meet their life, legacy, and impact goals with a focus on strategic planning estate planning, multi-generational wealth transfer, financial education, family governance, philanthropic planning, and fiduciary oversight. So it's interesting the way the world works. I first connected with Brown Advisory through YPO, a mutual connection there. And then you all had your board meeting in Nashville last summer. And I must say, out of any financial advisory firm that I've ever come in contact with, you were far and away the most generous, welcoming, and warm and nice people. You had me to multiple dinners and events. I've had David Robinson, just an incredible firm. And so, you know, kudos to you for the culture because we can maybe get into the history. I I do kind of want the listeners to have a snapshot of the firm, but considering the size and the scale, it is a very kind of 
personable place. It does not feel like a big wirehouse. And I'm sure that's intentional. Okay, that's very intentional. And thank you for saying that. We are excited about our initiative in Nashville. We've been thinking about it for a long time. And I think that's probably one big takeaway is that we don't make decisions like entering a new geography lightly. We think it's really important to embrace community. And so I'm glad that that was felt on your end and we're excited about things to come there. So before we get into it, Tom, would you mind just kind of giving a snapshot overview of the firm and what you all do and focus? Sure. I'm happy to. And now I can fill in where I missed that. First of all, I'm sorry I had to miss the national trip. That's when, when COVID finally caught up with me. So I was not there, but I'm really excited to get down and help our team with the, the new effort initiative. And I would actually echo what Alice, what, yeah, what you and Alice said about kind of the culture of the firm. I always say we're sort of Goldilocks. We're not too big and not too small. We're large enough in terms of the clients that we have, the assets that we're fortunate to oversee to have real scale and to have access to great investment strategies and solutions, but we know our clients' dogs' names too. So we very much operate on a very, you know, sort of warm, engaging client first kind of mentality. And, and that's, that's one of the things that attracts me to the firm. So, you know, hopefully I will get the history as accurate as I can. I've only been at the firm for about three years. It's been a fantastic experience. As you mentioned, I was running a family office here in Baltimore prior to that. And I really didn't understand the scale and size of Brown Advisory when I first was invited to come and talk about joining the firm. And, and I especially didn't understand how many large families really entrust their, their investment management and support to the firm. So the firm was really founded out of Alex Brown, that storied investment bank that, you know, Baltimore-based, I think it's the oldest investment bank in the country. And when Alex Brown was acquired, some of the partners really wanted to keep the advisory business intact and private and independent, took it out of the firm and really founded what became Brown Advisory. And so today we're fortunate to have both an institutional and a private client business. We oversee a meaningful number of assets across all 50 states and in, in a number of other countries as well. Our growth in the last few years has been really exciting, but it's always been at the right pace and always client-first and client-driven. And so both Alex and I work on the private client side of the business, meaning that we work with families of all states and sizes. And, you know, from a family office perspective, I would say that we really, on some level, we are the family office for every client we work with. We, are, we take a very, very holistic approach to families and their financial goals. And of course, there are differentiated offerings when people have more complexity. And I'm sure Alice will talk about some of the things she does for their families, but it's a private independent firm, colleague owns 70% of the firm is owned by colleagues. Nobody owns more than 5%. I think that's really, really key to the collegial collaborative culture that we have at the firm. So let, let's start with kind of the, the family office side, because this show is oriented towards high net worth individuals and families, taxable investors. So we'll leave the advisory institutional side for another day. Alice, I'm, I'm curious, you know, I've been in this world for maybe 10, 15 years. It seems like everybody has a family office today or a wealth management firm is pitching themselves as having a multifamily office platform. And have you seen that term evolve over your kind of industry experience within the asset management and wealth management space? Yeah, so as, as Tom mentioned, dude, he's, he's been with the firm for a few years. It was sort of surprised at kind of the breadth and depth of the, the types of families we work with. I actually have been with the firm for 17, over 17 years. And it's been a journey, right, to really get to know and understand what families need, where we need to be for them. And so the idea of family office, I think a number of people use the phrase, if you've met one family office, you've met one family office. And so the issues among families are with both. And the way that they created their wealth, the way that they frame their wealth, their family structures, 
the capital that the families have. It's all very, very different. And so I think what I've seen at Brown Advisory and the way that we have approached it is that we start with the idea of we really need to get to know families. We need to know what's important to them. We need to know what it, it, where they're struggling, where we are approached, and the fact that we work across a variety of different families where working with one family can really help you with the conversation with another family and help them to either solve something or realize an amazing opportunity. So it's digging in and both and starting from a place of let's start from scratch and, and figure out what, where we need to be. But it's also kind of leveraging the, the learning that we have for many years working with large, complex families. So I want to pose this question to both of you, but I want to start with Tom. As I mentioned, you know, previously you worked at a large single family office, big operating company, a household brand name, B, you know, billion with a B. After that experience, now they're on the other side. When do you think it actually makes sense to stand up a true single family office in today's environment? I think it's such a good question. And I think it's a question a lot of families are asking themselves. You know, I, I, I sort of think about it vertically and horizontally. So vertically in terms of assets, I think there's an asset level at which it might make sense to have your own team, you know, in terms of the amount of money that you're managing, the amount of cash that's being thrown off, your ability to hire really great talent and to be in-house and sort of manage your life and, and, and really focus on you all day and every day. I think that can make sense. But I think that in recent years, that, that vertical measurement has gotten higher. I think people who used to say, if I've got 500 million or a billion dollars in family assets, I need my own person, my own team. I think that, that threshold has grown. And then what I mean when I speak about horizontally is, is I'm talking about complexity. I think that it, you know, regardless of what the asset size, if you have a ton of complexity and a ton of uh, operating businesses or in-house needs that need a, a tremendous amount of sort of hands-on work that you want to direct as the principal in-house, then I think that can sort of change the calculus. But I think for a lot of families where it really is simply managing a pool of capital, I think that in many cases, it can make sense either to outsource or to partially outsource. And I think the hybrid solution is something we've seen a lot with families where they may have one or two chocolate in-house folks who really are focused on that, the day-to-day. And then they outsource a lot of the investment capabilities and some of the teaching advisory capabilities because for, you know, a firm like ours with 830, 840 colleagues, it's a tremendous amount that they can leverage out of those resources at a much more cost-efficient way. Alice, I see you nodding your head. Do you want to add to any of Tom's comments? No, I, I, I agree. And I think we, the importance of kind of getting that mix right, where you may have one or two really key people that are to employed by kind of either the family business or the family themselves are really critical people sort of in the, in the idea of kind of pulling, pulling all the pieces together. But a lot of families want to make sure that they can attract and retain the best talent. And I think that's become a, a growing challenge as they're thinking about kind of what a family office means multi-generations down the line. Yeah, I, I agree with all of your comments. I think the, the cost the AUM and the complexity of required to actually have a truly functional single family office have gone up exponentially over the last decade and continue to do so. And that's where, you know, it's interesting before we went live, you made a comment, Tom, that you're not a multifamily office, but you have family office capabilities. And I think multifamily offices become a marketing term in a lot of ways that people use for branding and advertising without fully understanding it. Meanwhile, there are families of significant wealth when you look at their balance sheet you know, that, that do need more specific help than just working with a run-of-the-mill RIA or with a broker-dealer. So I'd love for you to go a little bit more in depth 
kind of how you thought about the platform and, and how you do work with some of these families. Sure. And, and, you know, when I say we're not a multifamily office, we really are an investment fan first and foremost, you know, performance is in our DNA. It's really critical to us. And the other sort of two legs of the stool that we think about are advice and service to Alex and her team, strategic advisors who are, you know, prior practicing attorneys or accountants who have really robust experience in dealing with families and, and their complexities that, that, in terms of planning. And then our service team and, and our client accounting team who really can get into the weeds of every aspect of a, a client's financial life really do sort of serve as a family office. So, you know, I, I think I agree with you. I think a lot of sort of multifamily office terminology can simply be marketing. And that's really not something that we're, we're interested in. What we're sort of most interested in is meeting clients where they are. And another really key component of that is the client's needs, family needs change over time. And there are times when they may need a ton of additional incremental help from us as, as they go through perhaps a generational transition of wealth, or they go through the sale of a business. And our, the team that we will put around them may grow through that period and may spend a lot more time on non-investment of components of their life. And then that may change, you know, when things settle down and life becomes simply about it, the investment and performance component of it, then, you know, our investment team and portfolio managers will really step up and be the ones to sort of focused on that. And I think, you know, as I think about my prior role, you know, when we went through transition, the ability to hire people in, hire capability in-house, and then have to, you know, potentially reassign folks, it, it's really challenging and it can be a bit of a headache. And if you can have an external partner who has all of that capability and can really just flex up and down as you're like waxes and lanes, I think that's really, really helpful. So let's pivot into kind of the now. We're recording this in Q1 of 2023. We've just gone through a fairly tumultuous market upheaval. There's a lot going on. Meanwhile, there have been a, a huge amount of liquidity events and wealth creation simultaneously over the last 24 months. Alice, I'd love to hear from you kind of what are you hearing from clients? What's keeping them up at night? What are some of the strategic initiatives that you all are rolling out here in 2023? I think I'd add here, Liz, kind of the, kind of the, the global pandemic. I think that actually had a really profound effect on families because people weren't operating in nearly the same way. It actually, for many of the families that we work with, it was the time that they actually came together and were communicating a little bit more. They had a little white blow down. They had a little more time. They may have had a crisis in a business that they had to deal with. It really was kind of a short period where families were pretty productive in understanding how they handle stress, how they solve problems together, where there may be gaps kind of in their kind of overall kind of process or kind of making good decisions and educating kind of other family members. So that all really informed kind of what we're hearing from clients today. I think you know, we all have read articles about a great wealth transfer that's underway where baby boomers are in the process of transferring 68 trillion is the number that tends to be most frequently tagged to it to generation X recipients and millennial recipients. And that in and of itself is a really big deal. We've got a very friendly regulatory and policy environment to do that from a tax standpoint with higher exemptions, historically speaking, relatively low income tax rates on the ordinary and capital gains side, friendly regulation on planning items that get into, I'll throw in some terms that I know we need to get into, like grantor trust and valuation discounts and grantor retained annuity trust, just to name, name three. But truly all of that kind of, kind of very strict kind of tax and policy guidelines are things that get families interested, but it's the latter, kind of figuring out how to make decisions, how to raise responsible decision makers 
those are the trends that we're seeing most prevalently and things that we're working very hard kind of in our process to address to make sure that we have kind of tools, systems, suggestions on way like for a process, how people can really start to tackle that and learn a lot more about themselves and about the other people, the people in the family system that are going to be the next generation of decision maker. Yeah, this much valued wealth transfer, I think, is actually occurring. You know, we're feeling it ourselves in our family. Tom, I'd be curious, you're kind of tip of the spear here. How are the transitions going, generally speaking? Are they smooth? Are they messy? Are people actually prepared? You know, part of this issue is, is we've experienced the first generation is living longer than anyone anticipated and also being more engaged longer than a lot of people anticipated. And so what used to be a next gen when I got into the business was like 35 and under, and now all of a sudden it's 50 and under, and it's a very confusing timeline. No, I think you're absolutely right. And it certainly varies family to family. I mean, you know, the, the, the famous rep line of Anna Karenin had something like all, all happy families are the same, all unhappy families are unhappy in their own way. And we're very lucky that we, we mostly work with a lot of really, really happy families, but it doesn't mean there's complexity. And it also doesn't mean that there are, you know, sort of different priorities set between generations. And one of the more interesting things that I've really enjoyed in working with families is helping generation two or three think through what does wealth mean to them and what does impact mean to them. And one of the other reasons I joined Brown Advisory is we have a really, really thoughtful and, and meaningful track record around ESG investing and then, you know, so really can meet clients where they want to be on that spectrum. And it's been a lot of fun to, to help families going through these transitions and, and sort of e even dialing it back structurally to the sort of question of, should you have your own family office? As some of these transitions happen, something we've seen a good bit of in the last couple of years is a family member or a family, you know, family subset deciding that they want to peel out of a formal family office and create their own initiative. And in many cases, just from a, a sort of asset level perspective, that means it doesn't make sense to hire their own staff. And they may still lean into the family, you know, office staff for certain sort of transactional tactical things, but they want to build their own mission. They want to build their own family. They want to have their own impact. And in some cases, they lean on a firm like ours or, or a similar comparable firm to say, how can you take care of the basics for us? And then also be a resource as we think about what this wealth means to us. And, you know, it, 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 significant wealth can be very hard to understand and helping clients educate their kids and their grandkids about what the responsibility is that comes with it is important, but also giving agency and sort of empowerment to younger folks. And in many cases, you know, young people in their twenties who have a very strong point of view about, I was born into this family. I didn't ask for this. I'm incredibly fortunate that I have thoughts about impact and I really need a great partner to help me with that. But I also need to get my, my bills paid and my, and my taxes paid and good to sit, good planning decisions made and all of those pieces. So that, that's been really, for me at least, that's been really, really fun to be involved with. And then some of the really key component of that is to make sure that generation one remains happy, satisfied, engaged, and, and, you know, pleased with the direction that their kids and grandkids are going. So that, that's a lot of the sort of non-investment, non-financial human component to it, that I personally really enjoy and that I think our, all of our teams do a really great job with. Does the current market environment have you reevaluating your investment strategy? There may be alternative opportunities you have yet to consider to safeguard your portfolio. We've created an exclusive guide for Capital Club listeners featuring the top alternative investments to consider when strategizing for inflation. Download it today at excelsiorgp.com slash download to learn how you can protect your portfolio, diversify your assets, and take advantage of tax benefits in today's market. That's excelsiorgp.com slash download. 
And and Alice, it seems like the role of a firm like yours, obviously you, you lead with investing, but there's now you're incorporating ESG, impact, next-gen education, maybe some chief learning officer capabilities embedded within a family office. Wellness is now a big topic for folks. How do you manage all of that? And, and how do you stay kind of up to speed and educated and all these different things occurring within the family office space? Well, I think there's, there, in terms of how we manage it, our family to family, you know, each family we sit down with each year and we sort of established kind of what are the, the current priorities. And that helps us to kind of ring fence kind of the areas where we really need to stay focused. We need to keep them focused and where we're going to come back and kind of report on kind of how, our report card. How did we do? Did we make progress? Did we not? And um, in terms of staying on top of the different topics and what's happening, I think we are really fortunate to have a great group of insiders, a great team on the inside who comes with a variety of different backgrounds and a great network. But more than that, the power of really digging in and paying attention to what's happening in the outside world, listening to experts on the outside. We, we don't do everything in-house and we really rely on a great team of experts on the outside for certain things like let's make sure we have the right healthcare program or wellness program in place for a family. We can actually help in, with the, what's important to the family and what's going to make sense and what's going to resonate and where it fits. But it's really the expertise that's going to come in. Or a new a family starts a new company and they need to kind of design kind of a new governance structure. There may be a consultative piece to that. So it's being both really deep and expert in the work that we do, but having a deep and expert network that can help each of our clients as well. And then really paying attention to what's happening on the outside and listening to as many outside voices as we can and synthesizing that for clients. And what about as we roll into 2023, I'm sure you did a lot of end of year planning in Q4, what are some of the big initiatives and maybe particularly within the lens of the next gen community that people are really focused on for the next 12, 24, 36 months? I'll start, Tom can just kind of jump in, but the idea of kind of succession and decision-making within families is top of mind for all families. And Tom mentioned, you know, a lot of the second and third generation family members are interested in their, their take on uh, kind of impact and things like that are a little different than the senior generation. And so we have a pretty significant role that's both helping that next generation along with kind of forming ideas and, and putting plans together that will make sense to the senior generation. They're actually bringing the senior generation along. And then we also have a huge responsibility with the senior generation to remind them that part of defining success is their ability to let go, not of everything altogether, but in small incremental steps so that they can get comfortable that this transition is kind of happening and that they're comfortable, that family values are being acknowledged. And values is a, a whole other topic that we could go into, but uh, values are expressed in different ways. And to remind people of that along the way, that you may be acknowledging that hard work or faith or something is very important to a family, but people may people may define what that looks like differently and that's okay, right? The value stays strong, but it's going to have to kind of evolve in its application. I think that's well said. And I, you know, I would add on the sort of ESG sustainability piece. I mentioned that that's really a core competence we've been both on the institutional side and also in working with private clients. 
But I think one advantage we have that helps sort of bridge some of this generational, the sort of generational gaps is that, again, we are an investment firm first and foremost, and performance is absolutely critical. And the lens through which we look at sustainable investing is what are those companies that are going to be competitively, have a competitive advantage because of their sustainable practices. So, you know, we don't look at sustainability as something that we will do at the cost of returns. We really see it as an investment approach that is appealing to some institutions, endowments, foundations, individuals, but it's also something that can drive competitive advantage in stock collection and in portfolio construction. So, you know, I've certainly spoken to client families where sustainability has become passion of the 20 to 30 something generation and then had conversations with sort of G1 wealth builders, founders who have then come to understand that we are looking at this through the lens of performance and not simply through the lens of we are about to do this at the cost of performance. And I think, you know, feel very fortunate to be in a firm with institutional scale capabilities on that front and real thought leadership on that front where we can speak, meet people exactly where they are on that journey. And again, for some people, it's not a priority whatsoever, but it's been really interesting for me to see folks who have not seen it to them as a sort of personal social priority who then see it as a competitive investment advantage when they say, sure, if this company uses less water, then they might actually have, you know, their, their balance sheet might be better there, their margins might be better. And that's in that I am interested in the future of the planet. So that's, that's of interest to me if it helps my portfolio. So it's been really fun to see those, some of those intergenerational dynamics where there really is not conflict, there really is synergy, but it comes down to, can you provide the investment offering that makes sense for them? So I want to piggyback on top of that comment because the world of philanthropy is, is changing fairly dramatically. And you, there are what's happening with Mackenzie Scott. There are families that are considering spending down to zero. This gray line between kind of investing and impact and venture philanthropy continues to be very blurred. What are you seeing and feeling from your families, how they think about giving and, and philanthropy and their family foundations? And we'll start with that. Yeah, we see sort of, as you say, that it's become a very clear kind of continuum for many families, but one where they may have thought, you know, five years ago that giving and investing were two separate and distinct topics. The lines have really blurred and in a very positive way, because, you know, I think in family office, we used to say that teaching people about giving and philanthropy was kind of exactly the place where a lot of families wanted to start. But if you can kind of morph that into this idea that you're on a continuum of investing and on one end you're using philanthropic dollars to kind of help help communities, but on the other end you're kind of making a big impact that's important and, and something the family's very passionate about. They really aren't separate and distinct. They just live in different places along that continuum. And you're absolutely right that there are great examples like Mackenzie Scott, who I think we're all kind of following and kind of waiting for kind of her next set of kind of billion dollar gifts because it's really inspiring. And that's what people want. They want inspiring stories. They want examples to follow. Not going to look exactly the same from one family to another, but but change that people know it's possible, right? You really can live on that continuum. And it's a great place for kind of educating next gen and for families to kind of come together because they're all going to live in a slightly different place on that continuum. But it's been a wonderful place where people do come together and want to engage. Yeah, I, I second that. And, and again, like everything we've sort of discussed, it varies so widely. I, I remember meeting several years ago with the head of the family office for one of the you know some wealthiest folks in the world, very robust investment platform that they have. And we had a really interesting conversation around what he was working on and, and the focus and how he engaged with the principal. This was when I was running a family office myself. 
And toward the end of the conversation, I asked for an introduction to the foundation team because I, I'm like most of our, actually pretty much all of our colleagues here at the band, certainly all, all of our senior folks, I'm very active in the community here in Baltimore and, and Alice and, and Austin and everybody else is where they live. And I'm sort of looking for an angle for how can we bring some of these resources to Baltimore and help in some of the initiatives that we're all engaged and involved with. And he said to me, well, I don't really know those people. And, and I said, how oh, you don't know the people at the foundation that has your boss's name on it. And he said, no, my job is to make as much money as possible and then hand it to them to go and do their good work with. And that's one model. And I think as Alice said, what we've increasingly seen is a very different model. And that's, again, it's a very, very large pool of wealth. What we've seen with a lot of families is much more of an integration in their efforts. And if they have a team, the team often is hand in glove on investment and philanthropy. If they're working with a thing like ours, they want to think about impact. They want to think about, well, you know, what, what the, the impact of those dollars are. And then, you know, we, we have an endowment to the foundation's business that's extremely robust and, and growing. And that's certainly a trend in, on the ENF side of the business, which really touches families because in many cases, families might a, have family foundations or B, be very involved with those kind of organizations is, you know, if they look at a 5% spend rate for philanthropic effort, that's 5% of what could be a really large pool of resources, they're increasingly looking at ways to invest and use that 95% of the endowment that's remaining in pro-social and positive ways that mission align with what they're trying to achieve. And it's been really fun for me to see our endowments and foundation team kind of focus in on that and really lead some of these groups in the right direction, because it, it, it really translates to what we're doing with families as well. And we can learn a lot from that. Yeah, no, can I add can... one more piece on, piece on that? Because it's been, it, it, it's really been an area, I think one of the areas where families struggle is on having broad-based engagement across their family structure. And this has actually been one of the areas, not necessarily the piece on philanthropic giving, but the piece on impact and kind of what that means. And it has led to a number of conversations about should they actually take their, you know, they've inherited that they're the third generation in a foundation, a governance board that's now, you know, across four families and 12 first cousins. It's actually pretty hard to get everybody who lives in different communities and in different interests, like highly engaged. And so sometimes those are the conversations about should I spend down to zero? And if I did, would I, would I accelerate the impact? How engaged would people be? Who's really willing to dig in? And that's been a very interesting conversation. Or do we think holistically, not just at the 5%, but what are we doing with the 5%? I mean, the 95%. And how are we investing there? And it's just been a whole nother conversation around engagement, but it's been very, very healthy for a number of families. So that rings out a question that I meant to ask you all, given your geographic expansion, obviously, your roots are in Baltimore, but you've been very thoughtful about moving to growing markets like Austin, Nashville, et cetera. Kind of, is that a strategic initiative in response to what you saw play out in COVID? Or was that kind of the plan all along? Or are they just seeming to like dovetail together given the, the world and how it's changing? I would say it's not a response at all to COVID. I think we've always wanted to be present in communities where we thought we could find like-minded people where we could build a presence and be successful and grow that presence. That's just finding the one person. It's actually finding kind of an ecosystem and a culture that feels like a place that our colleagues could live, work, play, and be successful in kind of the work that we do together. So as a result of COVID, we've actually had some of our colleagues uh, relocate to some of our offices. And that actually has had a, a different impact in a positive way that now we have kind of crossed 
group, more kind of cultural, kind of a more of a cultural mixing pot in offices that are outside of outside of Baltimore. And that's been good for our culture as well. Yeah, I, I agree. And something I've observed in my, you know, three years at the farm is the expansion is extremely thoughtful and strategic and it's based, you know, whether that's geographic, whether that's business lines, new offering, you know, it, it really comes back to sort of our four C's of, you know, client, colleague, culture, and community. And we really don't go into a new city just because, and we also don't engage in a combination with another firm simply to acquire assets, which is a strategy that, that some firms, you know, quite fair enough to them, that's their approach, that's what they do. For us, I think combinations, acquisitions, and then expansions geographically added to new product lines, business lines, all tied back to the core mission of the firm. And again, I think being private and independent really gives us the flexibility to do that. We're not beholden to, you know, the public markets. We're not, we're not measured quarterly by any outsider. So we can be really thoughtful and, and patient and strategic. And, you know, I'm very excited about the expansion to Nashville because I think it makes sense in terms of clients, colleagues, you know, and community and culture. And that's the same with what we've done on the West Coast and Francisco. And it's been fun for me. One of the, the you know, the worst pieces of COVID was being able to travel. And I joined the farm kind of in the thick of it and was really limited. And when I had the ability to get out to see our other offices and to feel how the culture of the farm was translated in different places, it's really energizing for me. And, you know, Coming back all the way to something Alice said at the very beginning in terms of the value we bring to family, it's just, it's in many cases, it's having seen the movie before. And, you know, as I think about myself, I took over a very, very nascent, brand new family office at 34 years old and, you know, worked extremely hard for, you know, almost 10 years to, to make it successful across a really interesting platform of business and investments. But the resources that a firm like ours has as we go into a new geography is to bring what we've seen with families in. Baltimore, Boston, Austin, New York, San Francisco, the Carolinas, overseas, and, you know, sometimes to make introductions and connections that are helpful, but often just expertise that comes from having lots of family make decisions and help them make those decisions and go through them. And that can be in highly technical areas, like the kinds of things that Alice deals with in terms of planning and, you know, tax decisions and efficiency and estate, estate decisions and all those pieces. And it can be in very human things too, and just sort of helping people make decisions that are really important to them and the future of their family through the lens of having seen other people do it really well or do things that they subsequently came to regret. And that institutional knowledge, I think, is really, really valuable. And I think we'll, we'll guide all of our expansion as we sort of go forward and hopefully continue to reach out to new geographies around the country, but also around the world. Well, like I said, your team here, Craig, John, they've both been terrific and very kind and welcoming. So, you know, well done there. I want to thank you both for coming on. I realize you have big jobs, but I'm glad we could finally get this done. And again, for folks interested, I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Please do leave us a comment and a rating on your favorite part of it. If people are interested in, in connecting with you all for your family office services or just learning more about the firm in general, what's the best way for them to learn more? Well, we, we've worked very hard in the last couple of years on, on the website, I think on the family office component in particular. So brownadvisory.com is a great place to start. Certainly feel free to reach out to, to Alice or to me personally. You know, we're very high touch and, and personal kind of approach to things. So we'd love to engage with anyone who, who would like to learn more about the firm. But also one thing we really enjoy is just being helpful to folks who are grappling with these issues themselves, but whether that's through their own family office or, you know, their own sort of family situation, we, we always learn by trying to be helpful. So please feel free to get in touch. And, and a question that I ask folks to come on the show, and we'll start with Alice. Do you have a daily practice that helps bring peace to your life? Uh, I have a few. The one is just chronologically in the day. First thing in the morning, I get up and take my little pointer taco for a walk and we watch the sunrise together most mornings. That helps to kind of set the day. And and the other is trying to turn my phone off. Kind of a good 
hour before I go to bed or at least put it down and think about just intentionally kind of what happened that day and what what's coming the next couple of days. And that's been a good way to kind of organize on either end of the day. Great answer and, and hard to follow. I think for me, you know, I love to read. And for me, I think making time to read if it's just a few pages or if it's sitting down for, you know, 45 minutes or an hour, that's really important to me. And then the other one would be sending my kids off to school in the morning. I have two daughters and every single day without fail, I tell them if they leave, be good, stay safe, work hard, have fun. And then I try to tell myself the same thing as I leave the house. So I want a little mantra. Yeah, I, l- I love the affirmations. And, and Tom, I've got a bonus question for you. Will Lamar be on the Ravens next year? Yes or no? Oh, I hope so. I, hope. I work with a, a, a St. Paul's graduate. He's a hardcore Ravens fan and he's, he's not sleeping well at night now. So I'll be oh. curious to see how it plays out. Well, thank you both for the time. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. If anybody listening, please do reach out, learn more about Brown. They're a terrific firm doing incredible things and they have a lot of functionality within the family office space specifically. So definitely recommend folks educating themselves and Thanks to you both. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks very much. Have a great weekend. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Capital Club. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.